Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome everybody to Health Matters Radio. Dr. Ned Hoke today is sharing the time with Dr. Peter Fairfield, who's come back to Sonoma and is going to bring us his wisdom today on a number of important topics, among them oriental psychiatry and his work in that area on the coronavirus. Conceivably, we'll get to some topics about that. And then also, uh, I understand that Peter has some feelings and thoughts about 5G, and that's been a uh, topic of considerable interest for a lot of our listeners. So let's start there. So Peter, welcome, and uh, thank you for taking some time for us today. Well, thanks, Ned. Uh, you and I have known each other for 35-plus years, I think, so it's nice to come back around. And um, Sonoma's been one of my favorite towns in the world for a long time. I, I came back here in uh, the fall, and uh, so I, I've been happy here. And as a place to be ensconced during all this craziness, it's, it's been good. It's a sweet town. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you were here. Uh, give what was the what, the time range you were here before? You were here between when and when? Well, originally um, I came in the early eighties. Okay. I had had met a friend at Esalen who lived here, and so I came here to be with her, and um, uh-huh. ended up opening up an office. And then uh, I was here for I think till eighty five when I decided that I needed to deepen my life, and I gave up everything, and I studied Chinese for the summer and thought I was going to China to study for a few years, but ended up being led on a spiritual quest to a spiritual teacher, which I'd seen in a vision, um, to Nepal, where I spent seven years. Mm-hmm. And that was that a solid seven years there, or were you kind of in and out, or...? I was in and out a little bit. I would come back. I was there for four years pretty straight, although I'd come back to visit in the summer. But then on and off for another three years. Um, right. I was doing long retreats there. And uh, had, uh, I was, I had, as a sideline, because you don't make much money doing medicine over there, I designed a line of uh, Tibetan carpets, and we'd come back to sell them from time to time. Right, right. <laughs> so you really had a quite a very quite a varied career. Um, so uh, then, then you went off and did a lot of other exciting things. So maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about. Okay, you, and you, any, of course, you might want to say about your time in DePaul would be welcome. But of course, uh, the next thing would be wh- where did you go next? But let's let's start, let's start with maybe just a couple of words, if you would, about your the, what what you received in DePaul. And and what what sort of teaching you were drawn to? Okay, well, let me back up just a little bit so I have a little background to put this in. I I had always done some healing as a little boy. I never didn't know that's what it was. Somebody would be sick and I put my hands on them. 
And um, I, I, I had started having some spiritual experiences as a little boy. And, uh-huh. and um, I, uh, so, so, so those were two, two, um, two tracks that were in my being. I didn't even identify them as that. You know, I didn't really know. I didn't really know what spirituality was, and I didn't really understand healing. It's just kind of part of me. So I, 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 I lived in a number of spiritual communities and ashrams, and started studying healing in various places. And eventually went to acupuncture school in Boston. And, but I was still interested in, in really the, the the borderline between personality, the emotions, and spirituality. Mm-hmm. At one point, I started and founded an acupuncture school, and then after that, I was the acupuncturist at Esalen, really looking at you know, what the emotions were from, from the point of view of physiology. As you know, Chinese medicine has a very deep viewpoint of the emotions. It goes back you know, 3,000 years that we've documented so far. So, so that was always my interest. And the first time I came to Sonoma and I was practicing, I had a nice practice, you know, I had a nice life. and but I felt something was miss- missing. I felt something was missing spiritually. And um, so my dad had been born in China. My grandparents were missionaries there. So I, I always had this kind of call to China. And, you know, I practiced Chinese medicine, was teaching it, but I had never really been there. So I decided that I would go to China to study. So I left my practice um, in the spring of 85 and went down to moderate to study Chinese, thinking that I would... Uh, you know, go on to a Chinese medical college, and while I was there, I meditating one day, I had a vision where a face appeared to me, and the next day I got a, a letter from Shanghai where I had set up to, to go, um, saying that those plans were up in the air, so I ended up going to Taiwan, and to be in Taiwan for about six weeks, I met a couple of llamas. Oh, to back up a little bit, when I was studying Chinese, one day I was meditating and a face appeared to me. Oh, I said that. The face appeared to me. So when right. I was in Taiwan, I met two llamas that had a picture of that face. And uh, so to kind of shorten the story a little bit, they, they took me to Nepal to meet him. And so that's how I got to Nepal. And um, he was a very profound being. He, I was the first American student, the first Western student ever. So anyway, my time in Nepal, I, I, I was studying with llamas, and my teacher was profound. He had done over 30 years of solitary retreat, and, um, you know, at, at that level, the, the, the teachings are really mind-to-mind. You know, you learn things outwardly, but the real transmissions were inwardly. And so I was able to study with him and many of the high lamas in that town. There were over 40 monasteries in the town where I was living in Nepal. And um, also taking the pulses of these lamas. You know, in Chinese medicine, as you know, probably even better than me, when you take the pulse, you have a window into, into somebody. You can see their organs. And a little more advanced, you can feel their emotions. You know, you can describe someone's parents, even their karma from the pulse. And so I was, I was getting these transmissions through the pulse that I didn't even know what it was. When I first took my teacher's pulse, there was a quality I couldn't identify. I, I just, I, I couldn't think about it. It was this empty quality. It was something that I, I couldn't even think about it. Many years later, I took the pulse of this great lama and I, another great lama, and I realized that was the quality of enlightenment, you know, beyond thought, beyond concept. Wow. And, and, and so that was a, a later transmission of, of, you know, what we're doing. We're, we're, we're not really treating disease. We're uncovering this divine essence, and we're understanding that disease and challenge are really the process of 
of the universe training us and, and, and getting us accustomed to not losing our sense of our inner being. And so, you know, that changed how I worked. And um, I, I, I had uh, been the acupuncturist at Essendon, and, and I had become a look at that. But when I came back from the palm, my, my focus was really to, to, do, to think more deeply about how to help people emotionally and spiritually from the suffering of their lives and the suffering of their body. And that's really been my focus ever since. What, you're, what you talked about in terms of your interests were remarkably similar to my own, and I didn't take the same path you took, but at the same time I was interested in many of the same, same kind of inquiries that, you were, that were coming to mind for you. So it's, it's a very uh, uh, familiar ground to me, the kind of questions that you were seeking to answer. The, the, the difference between the, the traditions, the, met, the wisdom traditions of the East whether it's from the lamas or from others of that general ilk, they, they come from a long tradition of, of, of master-student relationships. And so how have you transformed that, that classical form of, inter, of interaction with, with students and patients and things like that to, to accomplish or to seek to accomplish some of the same kind of things you, you, you were envisioning as possible, but... Uh, how, how did you manifest that in terms of, given that today's clients and today's students are not necessarily oriented to the, to the, the depth of, of study, really, and the depth of also commitment to the kind of, kind of information and kind of guidance that you were providing? Can you give us some sort of intermediate kind of discussion about how you would actually perform services that then responded to the difference between how it was for working with a modern American clientele versus how it would be with somebody who's a used to the student master chela relationship. Well, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about having a master. Um, what, what I find is a real master doesn't have an ego about it. And, and, and so it's not a matter of he knows and I don't. It's a matter of he has a certain frequency, a certain space that he lives in, and by hanging out with him, you get used to that space. There was nothing authoritarian about my teacher. Um, he had a great sense of humor, and he had a great love and compassion. And and so, so by him just being in his place, I, a, a little bit of it began to creep in. And uh, one time... When I, when I first got to town and I first met him and realized what was happening, I kept saying, well, Rimeshe, Rimeshe, how about some teachings? And uh, so one day after about three weeks, he said, oh, go get the translator. And he came down and gave me an hour and a half of these quick instructions. Well, I was on kind of an ego trip because, you know, I found out that he was very famous and he had never accepted a student before and accepted me and I'd seen him in a vision and all this stuff. I, I got a take of this somewhere and my private parts cringe when I think of this. But I, I, I said, well, let me show you, how about something advanced? You know, I've done meditation before. <laughs> this is to a guy who spent 30 years in, in solitary retreat. So he kind of chuckled and through the translator, he said, what is the nature of mind? So I turned from there thinking, oh, I know this. You know, well, you don't know the nature of mind. You are the nature of mind. So when I turned back, he had no head. It was literally a black hole in space where his head was. So I kind of went, bah, 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 you know, and I, 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 I came back. He said, "Well, I don't think you have the pasna yet." 
20 years later, I was telling that story in a fish restaurant in Club Madeira after I taught a seminar. And I went back to the room, and I realized what he had given me was a transmission emptiness. It had taken me 20 years to be ready for something advanced. <laughs> and it was ready in time for me to go back and, and get. I mean, so I, obviously I'm not at that level, but when I treat people, it's not a matter of being the master and they're the student. It's a matter of I just hold a, a space of love and awareness. And I, and I look as an acupuncturist and physician to help people so I, I hold the space of clarity, you know, whatever my ability or limitations on any given day. And as I do the acupuncture, it allows a certain sense of clarity to happen in the person. And, and, and also, hopefully, by understanding from that perspective, I, I get a sense of what, what this person is holding on to that keeps them from a deeper, their own deeper inner experience. So, so there's no hierarchical uh relationship involved at all. It's just one person being with another. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hopefully, hopefully awareness and, and love. I see. Well, um, and you wrote a book called Deep Happy. And yeah. uh, uh, so I guess part of what that book must have been about, at least to some extent, would have been some of what you've discovered from the teachings uh, that you got, that you received from these, uh, these, this ancient wisdom, this ancient wisdom world. And we'll talk about that. We need to take a little break. We've, we're, we're talking with Dr. Peter Fairfield, who's relatively new coming back to Sonoma. And we'll be back after just a brief break, and we'll talk more about uh, Peter's background in psychiatry, uh, oriental mental psychiatry, and, and also some other areas. So please stay with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment. You're, we're back with Peter Fairfield. Uh, Dr. Peter Fairfield uh, recently returned to Sonoma, and we're talking about oriental medical uh, applications in psychiatry. And Peter has sort of stood out in out of the crowd and really developed an area of, of this kind of work, which is not really very widely known, at least in my experience, uh, in a direct sense, the, quite the way Peter carries this particular information. information. So maybe in a, in a brief overview, if you wouldn't mind, Peter, kind of give us a little sense of what oriental medical psychiatry really means. Well... Um, I'll, I'll start by talking about Western psychiatry. Okay. Western psychiatry has pretty much been taken over by the pharmaceutical industries. A, a, a really good friend of mine, David Bolberg, who was the head of psychiatric training at California Pacific Medical Center, I believe his is one of only two programs in the country that dealt with psychotherapy in psychiatry. Wow. Almost all the other programs are taken over by, by the use of drugs. Now, the Western drugs, uh, although they're interesting for emergencies, uh, generally do not heal. They carry a toxicity. And they also, in my opinion, um, they take away a person's trust in their own ability to handle life. Uh-huh. Like a lot of people say, well, how, how, can I, you know, how can I deal with anger or anxiety without my pills? They, they don't, they're not learned and they don't trust themselves to deal with things because they're, they're medicated. Oh, I got to take my pill. Which is dangerous. I mean, our our sense of self, our sense of power, our, our, our sense of direction in our life, our sense of personal creativity are, are, are all doomed if we don't at least trust or at least become curious about who we are and what the possibilities inside me are. And so when I first started working in, in uh, hospitals just as an orderly in, in the psych tech in, in the 70s in Santa Barbara, I, I, I could see how these people were just sheeps and they were just, just like sheep 
medicated on these terrible, terrible things. When I was, oh gosh, in the, in the mid-70s, I was working at I was working at Woodview Calabasas in, in L.A., and I was actually working in a biofeedback office, which was the beginning of some of my training. I walked down the hall, and I saw a very heavily medicated person kind of bent over, and they had the sharp end of a toothpaste tube, and they were just scratching their wrist. And so I thought, that's interesting. I knew it was important, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about acupuncture then. So I, 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 over the next year, I started to learn acupuncture, and I realized that all the points at the wrist that are involved in wrist slashing and suicide by wrist slashing have to do with relieving tension and, and, and anxiety in the upper gastric area, the upper abdomen. And I, and I looked under the, 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 the issues with, wrist, with suicide by wrist slashing, a very low percentage rate, just 3 or 4% actually died from that. And in, in the literature, there, there was a story of great reverie. And I realized a deep primal part of people, not everyone, but most people that slashed their wrist were actually trying to heal themselves. Of course, there's some. So psychiatrists and psychologists are not going to know that. Right. Can't blame them. It's not part of their physiology. So they would tell people, "Oh, you're self-destructive." Well, I've been doing this for 45 years, and I've never seen ever self-destructive behavior. And I've worked in, this, in, in many psychiatric hospitals and care situations and clinics. What I do see is people finding short-term methods for taking themselves out of pain. Like smoking cigarettes. I mean, we all know it's terrible. It creates cancer. It's, it's hazardous to the health and so forth. But in the short term, it's an incredible stress reducer and calming. So people have chosen these short-term methods over long-term methods. So I, 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 I realized back then that our whole understanding of how we treat mental illness is, was really from the dark ages. Now, one of the things that I loved and was attracted to initially in oriental medicine was that there was a physiology of the emotions to a certain extent. Like the different organs had different emotions, and this was part of our training. And it wasn't very extensive or well thought out, but it was something. Eventually, uh, um, after my first marriage broke up, I began to study relationships. And I, I began to look at the physiology of some of these relationships. And what I realized was we have a, 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 a channel that runs up our spine from our tailbone up to the base of our skull in the back and over the head. And then we have another one that runs up the front. It's like a north and south pole of the magnet. And what I realized through several years of observation was that all of our bonding experiences, that both parents shift the polarity between the front and the east front and back polarities. Either we, we, learn, we learn back or we lean forward, or, or, or both of them kind of go to the middle. And, and that totally encapsulates our, our experience with our parent. If one parent was absent or um, uh, crazy or demanding or uh, openly loving and present, it, it shifted this polarity. And I found that that, that that polarity was the fundamental basis of almost all emotional issues. And, and so when I come back, combine that with what I learned about the, the emotions and, and the different organs, I, I had something powerful to work with. And so, um, and then with, when I went through my spiritual training, um, or, um, yeah, the spiritual training, and I did long retreats in the Himalayas using the Tibetan process. I also did long retreats in China in, in the Taoist tradition, and I also did retreats in China in the Qigong traditions. Um, it gave me a, a, a little bit more of my own clarity and helped me understand 
if, if there's this body inside us, it's an energy body that doesn't change. It's a, it's about it, it's the being that inhabits this meat suit, if there's want to call it in this life. But that's the part of us that's eternal. And I mean, it's an energetic. It's, it's a lot, this is what I talked about in the book, Deep Happy. That there's a part of us that's already happy. You know, it's it's like deep below the ocean of our world, and that we connect to that part. It puts us in constant connection with the universe. You know, if we look at, you know, we talk about the illusions, right? So the illusions of living, but the real illusions, if you look at quantum physics or spiritual teachings, are time and space. And so when, when we are dealing with our own issues um, and, and we go into this place, this core, we are connected to all knowledge, all being, all light in the universe. And we, we, can, we can connect to the universe. And, and, and you know, you, some people call it God or letting go of God or, you know, the infinite or whatever you want to call it. But it's, for me, it's all the same. But, it, but, but it, it's talked about in our physics very clearly. Uh, Steve Harmon in, in Hawaii, uh, a young physicist, has done amazing work connecting the modern physics and spirituality. So, so anyway, what I realized was that um, you could live by trust. And so, so the last five years, I have lived by trust. I, I, I left a, a relationship in Marin, um, and I traveled the world for about a little over a year. And I just let myself be guided where to go, how money would come, how I'd pay for it. And, uh, and then I, 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 lived, I was guided to live in uh, Prescott, Arizona for about a year and a half. And there were people there I needed to work with. And then I was guided to live in Santa Fe. And uh, I, I lived there for about a year and a half. And then I wanted to come back and be with my son who, who lives in, in, in um in uh, uh, Centerfell, and also I miss the grass. I miss the I miss the, the plants. <laughs> right. right. You know, the high desert doesn't have the plants and the greenery we have here. And, and so I left the universe. I mean, the universe basically guided me to a a place where I now live in practice. It's affordable. It's just off the town square. So everything has been brought to me. I spent the summer in Hawaii, writing writing my new book and. Places were given to me, cars to use. Everything just showed up because I was curious how the universe would get me to the next step. And so that's kind of what I'm teaching these days. Well, that's that's very. Um, uh, it, it, you could call it loosey goosey in a way, but but you're but you're coming at it from completely. You're you're saying that a deep fundamental connection that you've been able to achieve is is the actually the core of your existence. And the core of your existence is looking after you, in effect, and in one, in one way or the yeah. one way or the other. And so, um, and of course, for those of us who do what we do, you and I, we find when we do our treatments, we're we're led all the time. I mean, it's just it is simply remarkable, at least in my 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 own experience, to to watch my hands just do what they do, led by who who knows who. You know, sometimes it just is magical, and, and sometimes so. I, I too have had that experience. Um, I, I may not, I may not have been as quite as involved with it as the spiritual level as, as perhaps you have been. But coming coming back to the um, the situation at hand in terms of the the application of some of this material, um, where do you where do you see where do you see yourself in in terms of the the world of, of, of Chinese medicine in terms of bringing 
more of this kind of teaching that you've experienced and, and brought together, how do you see yourself uh, continuing to e evolve in terms of being a teacher or a leader or that kind of thing in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the world that we live in? Or are you sort of, you've kind of gone beyond the oriental medical world, you're really off in a, I mean, that's still part of your thing, but you're really in a much larger zone. And so, in a sense, you probably don't, maybe don't, maybe you don't feel any particular necessity to bring your teaching to the oriental, oriental medical community since you're, you've evolved. So say something a little bit about that, if you would. That's just, well, I, I, I'm open, you know. I, um, a number of years ago, I did 60 cities in two years teaching a seminar called Awakening the Mystical Body. I would use acupuncture and oriental medicine in a clinical setting to help people open spiritually. Um, and I don't know if I'll quite do it in that intensity again, but I, I love teaching. I'm kind of, I, I, you know, I've been working on my book for about six, seven months. It's just about done. And um, it's actually a novel um, where the main character is uh, raised in Tibet, trained in the spiritual and, and, uh, uh, and, and the me medical arts. And his father was a, American CIA um, officer, and so when this character is 22, he, he, he finds his father, and he becomes a a um, uh, a uh, an agent, and works for, for a number of years, and then he, he, he can't hold those two realities together. And then the rest of the book is discovering how to be conscious and, and how to also work in a violent, crazy world. So it's a fun novel, um, and it's I, can, I probably. Probably be totally finished in the next day or two. Spent the summer working on life. So I, I love that. I love writing. But I've you know, been an acupuncturist my whole life. I love it. People call me. A lot of my work has been on the phone um, really for the last 15 years, and it's kind of sustained me for the last few years particularly. And um, so because I've, I've taught and studied meditation for 40-some years, and Qigong, and like you, I know the body very well from a Western perspective on the phone i guide people with breath and awareness into all the places in the body that are blocked and help them open it and so it's kind of a coach kind of a therapist kind of a doctor uh on the phone so i work with people in a number of different countries around the world and the u.s on the phone uh, and, and i still have a I just come to sonoma and just set up my clinic in my house where i'm practicing and and it just started to get some momentum and then we all got shut down um, and, um, so now it's just starting to, to peek around the corner a little bit. I had spent, I spent kind of my money getting things set up. Unfortunately for my phone work, I've been okay. So, so I'm, I'm open. I'm open to who shows up and what shows up. You know, uh, if somebody shows up with a back pain, I'm happy to treat that. You know, I can't, can't, can't say go away, but pretty much everybody has issues of, of old patterns that attract them to certain health situations. People have fears in this world now, especially fears and doubts. The information that's being portrayed in the media is so far away from the truth of what a group I'm involved in have been able to um, to, to, to find out. Um, you know, and, and so people are afraid, but then they also feel there's a disparity between what they feel to be the truth and, and, and what, what, they're, what they're actually hearing. And so that, that creates a, a certain, um, almost schizophrenia, because, you know, they're afraid that they, they, they want to believe something and they don't know what to believe. Yeah, it's important that people understand things. Well, I, I certainly agree. And, and for instance, 
in our, the most recent issue of acupuncture today i don't even i just got it my copy my june copy yesterday i don't know if you had a chance to look at your your issue yet but it's a discussion by uh, dr sheldon lee who talks in considerable detail about the physic the physiology of the of the coronavirus and those kinds of issues and so uh, i don't know i don't know if like i said i don't know if you've had a chance to look at it yet but again, it's, it, it leaves it all at, at, at the physiologic level pretty much. And so uh, as, as assuming people are beginning to call you and beginning to wanting to show up at your, at your clinic there in Sonoma, how are you responding to the, I don't know, I, I, I'm, you might probably got the, the, you got the message, the email about the, the expectations that they have for us, our, for people who do what we do in terms of the wearing of gloves and the wearing of masks, the, all these kinds of root, uh, protection, personal protective materials, and that kind of stuff. How are you facing up to that particular part of the situation? If if you are, well, I don't want to make right. anybody uncomfortable. I wear a mask in right. stores because it's required. If you look at the physiology of masks, they they, they reduce the function of your immune system. They store right. bacteria and viruses. They don't really do much. The virus has a has a micron size of of 0.12 microns, and, and the, even the very best mask will only filter out between 3 and 4 microns. Some of them only filter out up to 10 microns. So you're not really doing much there. The, about six, eight weeks ago, it came out that that the six-foot separation between people really wasn't what the, did it. It was like a 13-foot. Well, that didn't right. fit, so that kind of went away. And, um, you know, when you really look at the figures, and I, I've got – I'm working with a group of about 100 people, international scientists, doctors, uh, researchers, all kinds of people, that, that, that have been collecting the real data, or at least what, what the best okay. what we can find is the real data. And, and what's true is most people that come in contact with the virus don't don't get any symptoms. The ones that get some symptoms, uh, it's very mild. Most of the ones that get serious symptoms live. Many of the ones that died were, were mm -hmm. close to death anyway. Okay. A lot of the ones that have... That, that, no, let's, know, let's, 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 back, on, let's take another break. We need to take another break. We're at that moment of break. We're at the break moment. So we'll take another uh, 30 seconds or so. We'll, take, we'll go quiet here for a minute, for half a minute anyway, and then we'll come back and we'll go back into the, the coronavirus, the thing of the moment, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Dr. Ned Hoke speaking with Dr. Peter Fairfield on KSVY 91.3 in Sonoma. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back with you. Welcome back to Health Matters Radio. Dr. Ned Hoke today sharing the hour with Dr. Peter Fairfield, who's just returned to Sonoma from a long and very exciting world tour, you might say, of, of uh, learning and growing and, you know, picking up all kinds of things in, uh, that people like myself who been <laughs> parked myself in Sonoma 40 years ago and I still seem to be there. So the, Peter's been almost the exact opposite in terms of me, in terms of what he's done with his practice, in terms of at least the at least where he's been but anyway coming back to the topic of the coronavirus you were just starting to peter to share with our listeners some of your thoughts and let's let's go ahead and spend a little time getting into what you've discovered and what you feel where you things are where you how you things are going and how you intend to deal with it as best you can well again i i intend to follow all laws and, and, and requirements right. okay so, so that's my okay. official public statement. However, 
most of the people I know aren't really wearing masks, aren't interested in it, aren't afraid, and, and I'm not right. worried about the virus. Many people I know think they already had it a long time ago. I had, I went and got a test a couple of weeks ago just because I wanted to start seeing people again right. just to make sure it was negative. I really want to get an antibody test, although there are a lot of false negatives and false positives in the in the COVID test. That's another thing. About three weeks ago, the WHO reduced the estimated death rate in the United States from 79 to 38. From 38, I'm sorry, from 78 to 39,000, which was never handled in the media. What is irrefutable is that many, many, many doctors and hospitals with good intent um, are overestimating or, or, or diagnosing people that had any kind of symptoms with COVID because they get a lot more money. There's, there's two different Medicare codes, one for having a test and one for a, an assumed diagnosis. Uh, a friend of mine's brother runs the, a huge university hospital back east, 6,000 beds, and he was going on with her how, they, how they're really inflating all the COVID diagnoses because, because they, the hospital is partly empty because nobody's going there because they're afraid to get it, and it's the way they're making money. Uh, you know, people are trying to survive, including big hospitals. So, so the numbers that we have and that are reported on the media are not okay. accurate. I'll just say that. And people are inflamed by this. The other day I was out walking in, in Sonoma, and I met a, a nice man. Uh, and we started talking. I made some comments. Uh, and he said, well, no, you have to be careful. Yeah, and it turned out he was a, a world-famous scientist. I won't say his name. He just moved to Sonoma. And he was he was very uh, important in, in the whole Ebola research. He had been to Africa and was not. I looked him up. He's, he's listed. And, and we went on to things. And we, we, you know, I asked him if he thought it was an engineered virus. And he said, no way. I've been in this my whole life. There's no way it's an engineered virus. Can't be. Refused to believe that. There's, there's no way possible. So when I got home, I, I emailed this group that I'm with. The next morning, I had two papers in my inbox. One was a 29-page, I'm sorry, 27-page document that researched it with, with, and, and I think nine or ten pages were, were, were just the, the the research citations and this was a highly documented paper saying that the, it, it can yeah. only be an engineered virus well you know yeah and, and, and then there was another nine page document that just laid it all out so whether that was true or not I don't know but it was certainly factual it was certainly scientific it was certainly something to look at you know it, you know and, and it was well documented by science you know, there, there was recently, um, there was a woman that, that, that just had a, 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 a documentary put out about her called The Plandemic by, by Judy Mekovitz, who used to be a famous scientist. She, she, she battled with Fauci in the 80s and 90s over AIDS. She came up with an alternative viral theory. And um, because it was going to cost them hundreds of billions of dollars, she was eventually... Uh, villainized, um, put in jail. There was so much negative energy about her, and 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 she was made to look like she was a thief and a criminal. And yet, she had published over 50 papers. She has a PhD and a master's in these topics, and and and, um, and it's clear that what she was saying had some reference. Well, anyway, this the pandemic came out. I don't know. 100 million people looked at the doc at the document. It was finally taken off of Facebook. You can't put it on Facebook anymore. Her book, I think, was fifth in the New York Times bestseller list. She sold eight million copies as of a few days ago. You know, she's she's a bestseller on Amazon, and yet not one media mm. outlet has interviewed her. 
to even refute what they're saying about it. And yet here's a person, and, and, and when you look at every single media outlet, it has, mm. has money from the drug companies. Well, maybe it's true or maybe it's not, uh, you know, but I, I'm working with the producers of that documentary, and I know people that know the, the director of the documentary, and, 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 and mm. they think it's all true. So whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's worth a look at. Is this somebody that we should villainize, or is this somebody that we should pay attention to? Because, you know, and, and again, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve people also, people that differ from me and that have all other views. I'm just trying to understand the truth. So I, I, I've gotten a certain amount of flack for this, but but I, I've done two months' worth of research on this, and I'm, I'm with a group of 100 people that are doing research on it every day. And, and, and so... What, what is clear is that Fauci, who's been leading the charge on a lot of this stuff, has he, he has uh, financial interest in the vaccine. He just announced, I think it was yesterday, that the vaccine is only going to work for a year. So you're going to have to get the vaccine every year. Well, that ups the ante by hundreds of billions of dollars. Plus, it takes several years to do a vaccine. This is, you know, they're, they're trying to do an RNA, an RNA vaccine, very difficult. The chance of even doing it in a year. And most of these kind of coronaviruses only last for two years anyway. So about the time the, the, the vaccine really came up, it's already on the way down. So there's just a lot of stuff out there. And again, I don't know. It's true. Maybe I don't know anything. But I do know that what we're hearing on TV is not the truth. Mm-hmm. I know that. So it's worth thinking about. It's worth doing your own, own investigation. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I've, I've been a left winger my whole life. I think Trump's probably anti-Christ. I've never watched Fox News. But Trump has actually done some interesting things, you know, like the, the villainization of hydroxyquinoquine. That's been a safe drug for years, 50 years. You know, if you look at the research, only only 47 patients out of 100,000 have problems with hydroxyquinoquine, and only three patients out of 100,000 have problems with azithromycin, and it's being used in Australia, New Zealand, and parts of Europe successfully. But it takes money away from the drug company. So is what I'm saying true? Probably. What does it mean? I don't know. But it's worth thinking about. You know, our country is falling apart. General Mattis yesterday said we're in a constitutional crisis because of the president. You know, people need to wake up and pay attention. So, again, when people come to me for treatment, I don't talk politics. I don't talk spirituality. I just want to help people in whatever way they can. I don't make anybody wrong. I I don't want anybody to be afraid for my actions. But it's time we wake up and think our country is going through big changes. Being asleep and, 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 and following the mass media, I don't know if we'll come up with the best well, answer. Well, the, the, as you know, as a student of the wisdom traditions, it's understood that humans are basically asleep and, and, and they live in, and we're, we're dominated by ignorance. And then when we see the situation of the ignorance more, you know, more be sold to us, and you know, not only are we ignorant sort of from the get go, then we're sold more ignorance as a, as a solution for ignorance. We we know there's got to be something not so good about that. But let's let's turn the discussion a little bit around to uh, on topic of considerable interest to a lot of local people. Um, I don't know if you'd remember uh, Lynn Marie De Vincent, um, a local activist here in town, and I'm sure you you remember Will Schonbrunn and some of the other folks. Some of the other folks yeah. who are are you know yeah. involved in you know political action locally. There's been a lot of talk about the 5G matter and, and all the sort of the, the drama that, that 5G is going to bring to our bodies and to our, our, our culture at large. Do you have any thoughts about that, Peter? Do you have any, any insight on that for our listeners? Well, you know, I, I have some ideas. You know, how astute they are, I don't know. 
but I'll, you know, I, I, it's, I'll, I'll say what I, a couple of things. I've, I've been reading a book called The Stealth War, which is about China's incursion into the world for the last 20 years. The thing about 5G, if we get away from our, from our, uh, our judgment of it for a minute, 5G is the basis of AI. It's what's going to allow cars to drive automatically. It's it's going to be what allows the whole world of, of, of you know computer-driven reality to function. You know, a, a normal 4G tower can handle about 10,000 different different people per square mile. 5G can handle three million. And, and and also it's an instant. There's no lag time, you know. In 4G, there's there's I don't know a millisecond. Who knows what between sending and receiving? There's almost no lag time in, in 5G. Now you know for for cars that's obviously important. So you're stopping on time, but it is really important militarily. And what's interesting in this book by Robert Spalding, who was a formal general from the United States. This is not a woo woo guy. It's a very interesting book. It's all it's all sourced is that the basis of our military is based on 5G. You know, the way we connect to planes, the way we connect to tanks, or, you know, troops, it's all based on 5G. The Chinese have gotten into um, all the research on 5G. You know, the, the Chinese just bought the, the Department of Public Health at Harvard. The Chan, the, the, the Chan School. And, and so they're influencing. Yeah, yeah, the Chan School. Chan is the Chinese man who bought the donated enough money where it's not his. And, and and so whether or not 5G is a health hazard, and I'm thinking it might be, um, but but it's still, we, we are vulnerable now to the Chinese and anybody else because they can now, all, all the research on 5G has been either funded by the Chinese or the Chinese grad students there. The Chinese have made a very specific and deliberate attempt to be part of that. So, so they now all have the ability to, you know, stop our cars midstream to, to, to turn off our heating system that's connected to, to AI and all the automatic stuff. And, and that's a danger. And and now, you know, 5G, it's a very powerful electromagnetic field. If you've ever gone to the beach for the day and, and been even out of your 60-cycle buzz, you know, you, you, there's something really freshening about it. Well, we've never had something as invasive as 5G as part of our daily life since, since we've got smart meters and all that put in our houses. Um, there, there are health reports on areas with 5G. You know, some of the Wuhan has very high 5G. The place in Italy has very high 5G. It's also fair to say that, the, you know, the, the population in Italy, the size, is very old, very sick, and on smokers, and they had 5G. So whether 5G is enough to ruin your life just by itself, I don't know, probably not. But as, as, as another incursion into the normal balance and health, uh, health of our bodies, probably. But again, I'm, I'm not an expert in that field. I'm just kind of re- regurgitating things that make sense to me. And maybe if someone else knows more, they wouldn't make any well, sense. Well, there certainly seems to be a lot of reason to sort of go slow on this one. And, and so uh, I, I guess what Lynn Marie and others are hoping to do is, is that they'll, in terms of Sonoma anyway, they'll hope that they'll be able to somehow countervail uh, the, the the federal uh, in, 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 in imposition, really, of this uh, this new technology uh, without, you know, sort of the scientific background. 
and I gather from what you're saying that you've that would you've been able to read things that are current in terms of the science, and apparently they're giving you pause and they're making you feel like that this 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 also maybe should be slowed down, possibly restricted in some way. Is that is that am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely. I mean, there are things that are part of the public system that sh- should have much more consideration. There are countries in Europe where, where they refuse to let 5G in. So, you know, those people aren't stupid. Maybe they've made a mistake. Maybe they got sold a bill of goods by somebody. But it's worth looking at, thinking here's a whole country that decided this was bad. And yet financial interests in this country are so strong and so pervasive that they can overpower the public uh, introspection. Well, we've been uh, talking to Dr. Peter Fairfield, uh, again, a relatively new replant in Sonoma. We've been able to talk about a number of topics. Uh, for listeners who may want to have further contact with your information and your, your, your presence in Sonoma, why don't you give us your email address and possibly even a phone number, if you would. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear people talk to people. Um, my phone number is 415 415- Three seven seven, the zero eight six two four one five three seven seven zero eight six two, and my website is oneinfiniteheart.com, oneinfiniteheart.com, and uh, between four one five three seven seven zero eight six two and oneinfiniteheart.com, um, you can reach me, find out more about me. I'm happy to talk to anybody, and um, you know I, I don't need to get anybody mad or irritated. I'm open. I, I just think that it's time to really pay attention to what's going on in the world. And it's my job for my whole life to help people. Well, Peter, it's been a treat. I'm glad to catch up with you a little bit here, a little bit more about your fascinating life and background. So we'll look forward to seeing you downtown one, one, one way or the other. I appreciate your time today.